Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, we have a special mini episode for you um, where we are going to be discussing the documentary Persona that just came out. And we thought that you might like to hear our thoughts on that. So uh, we're taking a little detour from our usual format and we're going to be talking about the documentary. Yes. And I love how you said mini-sode. Knowing us, it won't be mini, but we'll try (laughs) our best. There's a lot to unpack and we have a lot of thoughts. So we'll do what we can. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So um, for those of you that are not familiar, this is a documentary that just came out on personality assessments on HBO Max. And um, it has caused quite a stir in the field of industrial organizational psychology, as well as I would imagine uh, more broadly, uh, anybody who has an interest in personality assessments. Um, The basic premise of the documentary is to sort of uh, bash and debunk personality assessments writ large um, with a specific focus on the Myers-Briggs, which as we'll talk about is not a good personality assessment. And we're all on board with uh, debunking that. But the main issue is that they really uh, confound what are not well-validated good personality assessments with those assessments that are actually really good, well-validated tools for predicting job performance and sort of lump them all together and come to the conclusion that personality assessments are evil. <laughs> and um, and so we're here to kind of talk through our thoughts on that in case anyone there out there is interested in hearing our thoughts, but also in case you've seen the documentary and aren't sure what to make of it. Uh, as IO psychologists, we feel particularly equipped to weigh in. Exactly. Yeah. I do want to call out too that another major issue is not only the confounding of all personality assessments into one type, um, or basically assuming they're all the same, which isn't true, but they also have a tendency of confounding artificial intelligence with assessments, which are two very different concepts. Sometimes there's some overlap. Um, sometimes, you know, machine learning tools are used in assessment in the assessment space, but they're not the same. So making assumptions around AI versus assessments, I mean, they're two different concepts. So we want to talk about that as well. But yes, exactly. We are both organizational psychologists and we definitely feel equipped to talk about this. It it has made us have a lot of feelings. Um, and as a podcast that really focuses on sources and science and um, in organizational psychology specifically, we thought it was important to bring up because one of the big problems here is that there's a lot of information and a lot of sources and data that have been completely ignored or left out of the documentary, which makes it hard to really make sense of what they're trying to say if you don't have the background that we have. So while this is slightly divergent from workplace wellness, um, coming back to the science and understanding the science is really critical. And this this documentary really did a poor job of that, in our opinion. So we wanted to make sure that we brought it up. We talked about it. Plus, personality assessments that can help people find jobs where they're going to be a really good fit actually does lead to wellness. So we've talked about this on the podcast before and in our blog before that person and job and person organization fit. Those two things really help a person perform effectively in the work, but also helps them feel satisfied in their job, which leads to things like wellness. So it is important to make sure that you are a good fit for your positions, that you can 
set yourself up to thrive and assessments can often assist in that. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think that, uh, one of the big issues that you brought up is that it's missing a lot of key expertise. And another thing that's problematic is that it includes a lot of individuals who do not have expertise in assessments and sort of positions them as people who know about assessments, but really they're end users of assessments, but they don't understand what's happening on the back end. Um, And so that's also problematic. So there's a lack of inclusion of experts and also a, broad inclusion of people that are not experts sort of weighing in as experts so it has sort of the worst of both of those things um but I think um the there are a couple things that we probably should tackle here number one is to get out of the way that uh while the uh potentially melodramatic um portrayal of the Myers-Briggs um was uh played up in kind of an odd uh sinister maybe more sinister way um (laughs) than it could have been we should put out there up front that the Myers-Briggs is not and has never been a validated assessment to use for selection or really any other purpose that has material consequences for people in the workplace um but any IOS or not any but most IO psychologists will tell you that and would have told you that for you know, a very, very, very long time. So that's not news to an IO psychologist. Um, And so that part of the documentary, they got right in the sense that it's not a good assessment. They didn't get right all the time why it's not a good assessment. But that part of the documentary we can stand by in the sense of like, we also would not recommend people use that assessment. Yeah, that's a great call out. So don't use the MBTI or Myers-Briggs for selection or really for anything. Um, They did mention at some point, somebody said something like it's similar to astrology and it totally is. You know, a lot of people are making a ton of money writing books or um, doing those YouTube channels that they showed on the um, on the documentary that people are spending making a lot of money off of people buying into their their type, their, you know, Myers-Briggs type. Are they one of the whatever the 16 they are? I don't know, like ENF. I don't know what they are um, but those different letter combinations people really buy into and they get excited about and they feel like it represents them um, we do have a tendency of reading something that's supposed to be about us and believing it and buying into it this whole like confirmation bias um, approach to things I mean a lot of us will can read our astrology and be like oh yeah I'm totally a Pisces I am emotional um, but and you kind of ignore the things that are like not as specific to you um, and just hone in on what is specific to you. And people really like it and it's fine to like it, but just know that people are making a lot of money off of you and it doesn't actually mean anything and there's no science behind it and it doesn't um, really help you understand yourself in any real material way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to say, okay, so how do we know that Myers-Briggs doesn't really do anything? And then that can help us to explain potentially why they get wrong other assessments that they sort of lump in with Myers-Briggs in this documentary as also not doing anything, even though they do. So there are a couple of things that need to be true about an employment assessment in order for it to be valid, legal for use, first of all. And we can get into this later, but one of the things that the documentary really like fudged up royally was that 
the point <laughs> of validating assessments and integrating personality assessments into selection processes is to ensure that you're not making judgments about people based on demographic characteristics or any other characteristic that's not actually associated with their ability to perform on the job. And so that links to sort of two main ways. Well, there are other ways, but two main ways that I'll bring up right now that you can tell that an assessment is legal and also useful when um, you're in the pre-employment process. One is that you shouldn't take the test one day and then the next day take the same test and get a different score both days, right? If you're a good fit for a job, the test should be telling you that you're a good fit tomorrow and the next day and the following month and a few months later, right? Any test where you take it and you could get one score one day, another score another day, um, that test is not great for being predictive of employment because it's unstable. It's an unstable predictor. So that's called test retest reliability. And the MBTI has very low test retest reliability. So you can take it one time and get one score, another time and get another score. And of course, it would be impossible for you to be a good fit for a job one day and a bad fit for the job two days later. So that's one thing that good personality assessments have good test retest reliability. MBTI has bad test retest reliability. And the second big thing is that they need to actually predict performance on the job. So good scientifically validated, and that's what the word validated means, assessments will actually correlate highly with your ability to do the job that you have been hired or you're going to be hired to do. And the way that we see if that's true is that we actually test that as a hypothesis. So you have a job that you think requires some personality characteristics. You find assessments that tap into those personality characteristics and you actually measure to make sure that people that score higher on those assessments actually tend to perform better on the job. If you can't make that link, then the assessment's not validated for use on the job. So the MBTI is also not predictive of performance on the job, which makes a second sort of strike against it for use as a validated assessment, whereas other personality assessments both have good test retest reliability and actually predict whether or not someone will be a good performer on the job, which is why they're allowed to be used as objective legal criteria for selecting people. And I think it's important to note that, you know, really strong assessments out there, different vendors that have them, you know, they have all of this documented specifically for legal purposes. And then also to make sure that it's working properly, you know, ethical organizational psychologists are going to spend that time and test everything before they deploy it. So you're not using an assessment to make decisions until it's been validated until the reliability or that, um, that Katina was talking about really, um, is shown and proven out. So those things have to happen before you ever go live with an assessment which I think is also a critical point. So if you're taking an assessment, it's not like the first time that it's ever been used and ever been um, measured for hiring at all. It's going to have been done before and there's going to be a lot of data to support that it's been used. So if you have a good assessment, a strong assessment, all of that data exists. And if you are a hiring manager or an HR and you're using assessments, you can always ask the vendor to talk you through that because they should have all of that available. If they don't, that's a huge red flag. Um, so I would definitely encourage people that are out there with assessments and organizations to look at that and make sure you're understanding how the test is 
validated and how the reliability looks um, as you're making decisions moving forward. You don't want to make decisions on a test that's never been um, studied, never been validated. And a lot of vendors that come out with new assessments, what you don't know is that they've actually been testing those questions for a long time before they launch that new assessment. So anytime there's an updated assessment or a brand new version, there's been a lot of testing going on behind the scenes. So I think that's really critical to bring up as well, um, that even if you are working with the vendor right now and you have one assessment and then two years later they say, oh, we have this new platform, you should try this new platform. What ends up happening is they've already done all the testing behind the scenes um, and you're able to see that information if you were to ask for it. So I think that's really important to know from a vendor perspective when you're looking at assessments. And then to your point, Katina, about the diversity piece, um, that is also really important. Psychologists are studying all of that too. You have to prove that the assessment is you know, predictive of the job, but then everybody's also looking to see if it has any impacts on um, different groups in different ways. And if it does, how can you fix that? How can you change the assessment so it doesn't do that anymore? So there's a lot of data that assessment companies would have around diversity and making sure that the assessment is not treating different groups differently. Um, and generally speaking, when you look at the data, you know, there are just as many extroverted women as extroverted men out there. Um, there's just as many um, ambitious white women as ambitious Asian women out there. So there's a lot of variability within all of the different demographic groups, if you will, um, that exists. So pretty much if you want someone that's ambitious, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have to be a white man. Ambitious people exist regardless of their demographics. Yeah. And I think that's really important because that was part of the documentary that they just got so off track on it made it seem like people invented these assessments to try to screen out people who were not heterosexual cisgender white males right it made it seem like that was the purpose but the reality of the history of personality assessment and assessments in general is that but especially personality assessments because they tend to show less adverse impacts so less differences by race gender protected class status than other forms of assessments do. So it's interesting that they even picked uh, personality to go after in this regard. Um, even the MBTI, I mean, they spent a lot of time talking about the links to diversity and I don't, I've never seen, even though the MBTI is not a good assessment as we already covered, I've have not seen like anything that says that certain races, racial groups or genders get different scores based on like that. I don't, I just think they went down like a real rabbit hole on that. That mm -hmm. didn't really have a lot of back like backing um but the history of these tests is that they're introduced for the purpose of providing employers with information about the candidate that can help them to understand objectively who is a good fit for the job and as Patricia mentioned you have to monitor your assessments to ensure that it's not showing group differences in the scoring because that could open the company up for legal trouble if it's not a strong predictor of performance on the job or otherwise, like you still need to keep monitoring it to make sure that you're not employing a test that has bigger adverse impact than something else that you could be using. So um, all of these 
assessments are actively being monitored for group differences. Personality tests actually, as Patricia just mentioned, show some of the lowest group differences of any kinds of tests that you could potentially introduce into a selection process. And the goal is to offer a battery of assessments that show as little adverse impact as possible. And if you let people make decisions without any of this information, they use way more demographic information and other kinds of information that introduces bias into the process than they would if they didn't have it. So there, the, the way that it's framed in the documentary is the personality assessment is choosing people is is driving people to make these biased decisions. But what the data says is exactly the opposite. You make more biased decisions when you don't have any data about the person to actually look at whether or not they fit with the criteria that's associated with the job. Yeah, exactly. If you don't have some insight as to whether or not someone's behaviorally going to be a good fit for a role, you're going to base it on education, which can have bias within it. You're going to maybe base it on how close they are to your office, which definitely could have bias within it. Um, you might base it on name. If you can pronounce a person's name, you're more willing to do it, to talk to them, right? You may not even think about these things, but there's a lot of different information that's coming your direction that is associated with some of these demographic differences um, that you could be making decisions on. But if you have something right up front that tells you, hey, you know, this person would be a really great fit for the job. You should talk to them then you will talk to them even if they are um, maybe from a school that you wouldn't normally look at or um, has have a name that is challenging for you to pronounce or whatever. Um, you might still look at them and talk to them because now you have some information, some insight that tells you this person actually might be good. Um, so that piece can actually help drive a lot of positive moves um, in terms of diversity and just removing a little bit of that subjectivity in that initial screening phase. But it's also important to know that it's not the only piece of information, right? You're going to interview this candidate. You're going to have them go through other steps in the process so you can learn more about them. So it's also not just a pass or fail type thing, or it shouldn't be. It should be one piece of data in your decision-making process when you're hiring. So it might be a tool to help filter people to the top, but it's not necessarily a tool that's going to completely eliminate someone out of the realm of possibility of being, being interviewed um, if it's used properly. So that's also important to know. I think the documentary spent a lot of time acting like these are the reasons why people aren't getting jobs. But what they're forgetting is that there's a lot of candidates applying for jobs so you're not going to get every single job you apply to. I mean, I can tell you that before I worked at Infor, I had applied to like hundreds of jobs and I got Infor. You know, I've got a couple of different callbacks and conversations, but the percentage was extremely low compared to uh, the number of jobs that I actually applied to. So you have to think about the fact that there's a ton of other candidates that are also applying to some of these roles. And so you may be screened out, not just because of your fit from a personality perspective, but for a variety of different reasons, even just not getting to your resume in a system of thousands of people before they make a decision. So it's it's a challenging place to be in the market for sure if, from a candidate perspective. But the reality is there's so many different reasons that can be associated with not getting jobs that has nothing to do with a personality assessment. Yeah. And they made it seem like, um, you know, the personality assessment was the reason why these folks hadn't gotten these jobs when except for in in one instance, 
the person got direct feedback that they had scored in the red on a personality assessment and that's why they hadn't gotten hired. Other than that, it was all conjecture that it could possibly be a personality assessment that made them not get the job. So that was problematic. And then it was also trying to make it seem like the algorithm is trying to highlight um, mental health challenges, but that's not true. We don't have anything in personality assessments that do that. They're not clinical assessments. And so it that's really a totally separate type of assessment that you don't find and you could not legally use. Um to hire people in. So there was a lot of confounding around, was it really the personality assessment that caused people to get knocked out of the process? Very unclear for most of the documentary. And then also uh, making it seem like what it was detecting was something about their mental health, which also is not accurate. So there were a lot of inaccuracies there. And I, I think it's important to mention that there, there are problems in hiring processes with bias. Patricia and I talk all the time in, um, you know, trainings, trying to get hiring managers to, you know, not use their own biases. Patricia mentioned, you know, maybe you pay a little more attention to the person that went to the school that you went to, or maybe you pay a little less attention to someone who's from a neighborhood that you're not familiar with, or maybe you pay less attention to someone whose name doesn't sound like a name of anyone that you know. Like we have research that suggests that all that happens on resumes and in interviews that we like people who look like us more than other people. And we tend to be more open to hiring people who we like because we think they're going to be a good fit because we think we're a good fit. So there are tons of biases that exist in hiring processes. Power dynamics matter. The part of the documentary where folks were, um, you know, trying to get jobs who um, had criminal backgrounds in some instances. Like, yes, there are all kinds of biases that exist in the in the hiring process against folks that have criminal backgrounds, against individuals who, um, you know, have career gaps or lower educational attainment um, than they might have under other circumstances. Like, all of those things are problems, but and we could talk about those problems, but the root of those problems being pinned on personality assessments is just very odd. Um, a lot of what assessments try to fix actually is the natural biases that people put into play when they don't have good information about a candidate and they're just seeing, okay, who's in front of me and do I like this person? That's when you make the most biased decisions is when you have no information about their fit to the job and the objective data actually cuts down on that. So I think not only was it confusing in terms of we're not actually sure how many of those folks actually got turned down because of personality assessments the person they they were saying that the personality assessments were tapping into things that they don't tap into and then also they were highlighting some issues that occur in the hiring process um that i'm sure people face uh that have you know mental health challenges criminal background you know spotty employment experience, whatever that may be, like we could talk about all those things as like actual problems, but I would never as an expert in this area pin any of those problems on personality assessments. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And I think it's important to say validated and scientifically sound personality assessments because there are instances where people will make assessments that are not good and will sell them and people will buy them and use them. So it's not necessarily that we're saying that there are no bad tools out there. There definitely are bad tools and you have to do your homework. If you're in HR, if you're a hiring person, um, you have to do your homework. There's a lot of homework you need to do to make sure you're doing the right thing. But if you're looking at a real tool and a good tool, and there's so many out there, you're not going to be encountering the issues that um, we just talked about. You know, you're not going to be measuring mental health. You're not going to be 
seeing bias um, in a really major way. You're not going to be doing any of those things when you have a strong assessment in place. That leads me to the conversation around um, AI. So they had a person from Higher View on the documentary and they talked a lot about AI. There was, I can't remember what her name was, but there was somebody that talked a lot about um, the challenges and the difficulties with AI. And there, those two issues, assessments and AI, are not the same. So assessments, if you have an assessment that you're that's being used for hiring, there's a team of psychologists and psychometricians <laughs> that are, and psychometricians, by the way, are just like fancy, extra statsy psychologists. Um, <laughs> and so they're working on a team to develop this, to study it. Their hands are in that assessment. It's not like they taught a computer to create an assessment and then just let it run wild. There's a lot of human interaction with that tool to make it function, to study it, to understand it, um, to write the questions. It's very, very much um, psychologist driven. It's not that assessments are created in a vacuum of AI. AI does have some of the bias issues that were described in the documentary. That is true. If you're training an AI tool to read faces and try to understand something about a person based on their facial expression, there can be a lot of bias based on what is being trained um, in that AI machine. So when you're looking at AI, when you're doing this artificial intelligence, you're training a computer to do something. So you have, so if you're looking at trying to understand a person's facial expressions, you're going to be showing this computer a bunch of videos of different people or pictures of different people. And if you aren't careful, if you do a bad job of this, you could train the AI to only recognize you know, a white person's expressions versus, you know, a black person's expressions. There could be some potential differences in the way it recognizes somebody of a different race than what it was trained on um, inadvertently. So there is a lot of potential for bias in the way AI is trained. So I think that is really important to know. And that I think is where some of the challenges with assessments comes into play because there are definitely tech companies out there that do not have or organizational psychologists at all, or do not have ethical organizational psychologists on their staff that are making tools based in AI that have not been researched and studied effectively. So they're definitely, you know, I mean, again, they brought in higher view, so I'm going to bring them up just because they were using the documentary. Um, there've been some EEOC complaints against higher view. Uh, there's definitely do some research there if you're interested in what's been going on with them. Um, but they had a video interviewing platform. I don't think they use it anymore because of some of the legal issues, but that platform was using artificial intelligence to read people's faces to therefore somehow predict their personality. There's literally no research out there on this. There's some probably being done at this point, I'm guessing. But there's no, and there's nothing to back it up. So they started using a tool to hire people to predict personality based on video interviews um, that was completely invalid. There was no data to support it. There's nothing there. And that is scary. And I completely agree with the documentary on that specific issue, but they didn't do a good job of clearly explaining what that issue is. And it's not about personality assessments. It's about using technology 
inappropriately and without research and science to back yeah, it up. Yeah, 100%. Like, I think that the Myers-Briggs issue being mixed in, like, yes, we agree Myers-Briggs isn't any good. Um, you know, the way they went about it, maybe not so great. Same thing with the AI. Like, that is that is a really interesting point to bring up and something we all should have on our radar. To be clear, any IO psychologist that I've ever talked to about those kinds of assessments would say there's no research based on that. Right. So, and they've had legal challenges and they've already had to take away some of the features of that platform, right. For that reason. So, um, it is scary and you should always do your homework as Patricia said before about picking an assessment that has this validation information. That's why it's super important to do that. And, you know, there are, you know, whoever used that system, and maybe got screened out of job, probably did get screened out of that job for no reason. But it's not like higher view is this like massively used system that like all of these companies are using to detect your facial patterns and put you into a database and all that kind of stuff. Like that's not the case. They're one company and it should be on your radar in terms of trends to keep track of and make sure that, you know, the science is always going first. But they sort of really conflated this idea of AI, big data, facial recognition, personality with really good validated personality assessments. Like they th throw the big five in there and the big five actually is a really well validated uh, set of personality assessments um, or, or basis for personality assessments. And then the Myers-Briggs like all into one sort of pot, never distinguished between any of them and sort of made them seem like they were on equal footing which then throws the whole personality assessment piece under the bus when in reality, personality assessments generally, if you look at the full scope, are, are more dominated by validated personality assessments than not in the sense of what people are using for selection um, decisions because of the legality surrounding it. But there are these ones that you have to watch out for. So if the documentary had been like personality assessments have become very popular because they're predictive of performance on the job, but there are some out there that are really, you know, not valid that could make harmful decisions about people that could keep people who are, you know, perfectly capable of doing the job out of it. Like some of these non-validated AI pieces or MBTI, we would have been like, great, perfect, good documentary, love it. But that's not what happened. So I think the AI piece is another really good part to put in there because similar to the Myers-Briggs portion of the documentary, they just sort of put all this stuff in a pot and mixed it up and they're not the same thing yeah I think that's really important they're not the same thing and to the point of uh that you just made about how most of the time they're good assessments that are out there I would agree with that and even like we mentioned with higher view they've taken away the features that were really scary those are not being used at this point so if you get into a situation where you're having to do a video interview for a job I wouldn't worry about it um you're probably fine given all the legal stuff that's happened recently. So there, no company should be using at least that specific tool, higher view, in that way anymore. Um, so I do think that there's a lot that's going on. And actually, Katina, you and I were both involved in a committee at the Society for Industrial Organizational Psychology, like writing to um, our leaders, our Congress around you know, where IO comes into play and what our stance is on AI. And, you know, the field is involved in trying to make sure that these types of tools don't get too out of control and that 
um, tech companies that are creating these tools are really thinking about who is involved in creating the tool and how can we study it before we ever make any real decisions on people based on a hypothesis. We never want to be doing that. And this, I think, is an instance where, you know, if they had taken a a fine, you know, paintbrush and painted a little box around certain assessments and said, here are the scary ones to watch out for. or Here are some scary trends to watch out for. That would have been one thing. But instead, they just like took a big paint roller and like painted overall personality assessment. And that's not that's not what we (laughs) would condone at all. So for those of you who watched it and maybe felt a little Mm -hmm. scared, a we hope that you never use the MBTI. We hope that you stay away from anything that has to do with this facial recognition technology that's not well validated. But in terms of personality assessments overall, they're actually there to help you make better, less biased decisions about candidates and not to introduce bias into the equation. And IO psychologists and organizational psychologists more broadly generally are doing the jobs that they're doing to help you find people who are a good fit for the job from an objective perspective and are actively working with companies to ensure that they're not introducing tools that have adverse impact against any group that's protected class or otherwise um, as that assessment is rolling out. So the intention of these is positive to help you find the right person for the job. And it also has a much more positive orientation towards diversity, equity, and inclusion than the documentary made it seem. So, you know, tread carefully But the documentary sort of suggests to throw the baby out with the bathwater and also makes the bathwater seem very sinister. (laughs) (laughs) Or I guess it makes the baby seem They definitely made it seem... Yes, exactly. They made it very dark. Yeah. A lot of the music and, like, was the scary. crying baby. Like, <laughs> For no real reason. Myers-Briggs. It was just like a whole a whole mood. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I understand that people totally misuse the Myers-Briggs. <laughs> That's bad. But like she didn't create it from what I understand for like evil purposes. It just seemed like there was, you know, uh, there the science on assessments was not yet where we are right now. And so she made a little thing that she thought would be good and then found out she could sell it for a bunch of money. And, you know, that's not great, but it's also like, you know, we had like Freud and stuff, like saying a whole bunch of stuff that's like completely non-testable. We don't know. So anyway, there's like a lot of, I just think it was like totally like (laughs) overblown in the uh, horror department there as well. (laughs) I totally agree. It was very dramatic. Um, I do also want to call out that not only are assessments good for employers finding candidates that are a good fit, I do think it's important to note as an employee or as a candidate on the market that it helps you too. Because if you get into a job or you're a poor fit, you're not going to be happy and you're going to be more likely to leave or get fired. And do you really want to get fired? I know I don't ever want to get fired. That sounds awful. And I know it happens to people. And there's no reason for you to be putting yourself in a situation where you're not going to succeed. So I think that's also really important to know. Just the goal is for both parties, the company and the employee, to find a good match so that you both can thrive and be successful. Um, it, you know, ideally it's a win-win for everybody. So if there is a job that 
you don't get and you think it might be because of the assessment, while that sucks, and I know that in some cases, you know, you might be desperate for a job and there's a whole other, I will, you know, there's obviously a lot more there. But if you are open and able to be interviewing with different roles and things, you've got a lot of different opportunities out there. The better the fit, the better for you in the end. So I think that's also, yeah, I think that's important just to think about and make sure that you're cognizant of. And on that note, being honest on an assessment is also really important. So that was one thing that did come up in the documentary that was a little bit concerning was when they were talking to that the hope. I can't remember what yeah. it was called the hope s- hope house or something. something. Um, yeah, something where the that group school, where they were they um, working with. Like yeah. Maybe it was the Hope School, but it's where they were um, working with folks with criti- with criminal backgrounds. Um, that made me a little bit nervous and disappointed because they're teaching people to try to gain the assessment, but there are certain things in place in the assessment itself, usually, to see if people are trying to, to game it. Um, and that is intentional because if someone's trying to falsify who they are, Obviously, that's not a great thing. That's not a good look as you're trying to come in as a new potential employee. You don't want to be lying right off the bat. So there are flags for that. Um, And also, depending on the type of assessment you're taking, it's not always the case that you should be more of something um, or less of something. Sometimes being a certain amount of a different characteristic is best. Maybe you need to be moderately ambitious. And so if you try to game the system, you could actually be gaming yourself right out of a job and then put yourself in a situation where you're not getting jobs, not because you wouldn't be a good fit, but because you tried to tell the system you are a certain type of person when you're actually not that type of person. So that was disappointing because I don't want to see people trying to game it and then messing it up for themselves. It just the best way to go into personality assessments is to just be honest Um, because they're not looking for one specific type of person. Not every single job needs the most ambitious, extroverted, conscientious, et cetera, person. Each job is different and unique and is probably looking for something specific to that And I think to that point, there are plenty of places in the hiring process that you could face discrimination. You could face discrimination in an interview if someone asks you a question about whether or not you plan to have children. You could face discrimination in in, in a hiring process when someone finds out that you have a criminal background and then rescinds an offer. You could face discrimination in a hiring process when you request an accommodation for uh, a mental health issue or a physical disability and someone rescinds your offer. You could face it if you you know tell someone that you need an accommodation for religious purposes and they you know rescind your offer so they're all or you know you reveal this information in an interview and you feel like you didn't get the job because of that or you hear someone say something during the interview process or at any other point in the process when you're a candidate that makes you believe that you know hey they found out that I'm bipolar and so and you know it seemed like that was an issue and that is the the reason I think I got kicked out of this process all of those are valid and they all happen so it's not that the hiring process is like some utopian place where discrimination doesn't occur um so if you think that you face discrimination in the hiring process it's perfectly reasonable and legitimate to flag that up but the place where that usually happens is not in a personality assessment because they're not 
looking for those things as the documentary made it seem. So the most common way, for example, that someone is discriminated against um, in the documentary, very sadly, um, the, you know, kind of main character, I guess you would say, of the documentary um, commits suicide partway through or, or, you know, three quarters of the way through. And, you know, the most common way that someone who's bipolar might face employment discrimination is because they reveal that information in the hiring process because they might need an accommodation or, um, you know, that's something that they want their employer to know. And at that point, the employer actively uses that information to screen them out of the process or to rescind an offer. That's when people most likely face discrimination. So in no way are we saying that people don't face discrimination in the hiring process. 100% they do. It's just that the personality assessment is not the place where that happens because there is no indicator for any of these mental health issues in these assessments. So there would be no way for someone to take the assessment and they would know, oh, this person's bipolar, I'm screening them out as it made the as it made it seem in the documentary. The place where people are more likely to face discrimination is that you reveal that information and then you face bias in the process. And if you face that, you can file that with the EOC and we would urge you to, you know, file those cases and and make your make your story known. It's just that the place in the process that they're placing the blame on is not really accurately the place where usually these things come out. Yeah, I think that's a great call out. It isn't usually there. It can be. From time to time, there are bad assessments out there. But for the most part, we see that discrimination happens in a different place in the process. And definitely think that should be flagged. Um, You know, I recently moved away from being an assessment vendor. So I feel like I'm coming from a place where I've been in this space a lot. And, you know, we've seen clients go through all sorts of different issues. And before that role, I was an internal HR person and I've seen people upset about assessments for all sorts of different reasons, but it always ended up not being the assessment as the problem. And I think that's really important to to remember is if it's a strong, valid, solid assessment, if you file a complaint with the EOC, most likely the issue will be resolved elsewhere. There will be a problem that maybe occurred elsewhere than in the assessment itself. Um, yeah, but it is important to keep an eye out if you do see something wonky like a facial recognition piece. It is important if you are in HR to make sure you get all of the information from your vendors about validation and understand that, you know, have them walk you through it totally fair and important to do to do your you know do your due diligence to understand the assessments that you're using uh but just don't be so scared of them they're actually there to help everybody involved I feel like we just had like a like a emotional release because we were like watching that documentary being (laughs) like ah so this has been 43 minutes of us telling you our uh thoughts on the documentary (laughs) and uh hopefully this helps clarify some things for folks out there who either were unsure had seen the documentary were really freaked out or were unsure what to think or maybe you already shared some of the same thoughts that we share because you have a similar background to us but you just wanted to hear someone else commiserate with your own feelings (laughs) yes terrible job at keeping this at a minisode but We appreciate everyone's patience with us and our thoughts, and hopefully this was helpful. Hopefully you learned something 
Um, and just remember as you're watching documentaries in the future to check your sources. This was a nice reminder for us too. So we know that there's always potential agenda or bias or, you know, even just a lack of information that might go into some of these things if they don't talk to the right people. So I think it's really important to make sure that we're always checking our sources and the science behind the message as much as we can, which is what we always try to do for you here um, when we talk about workplace wellness. So thank you all for listening. Um, if you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, feel free to email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com. You can also find us on social media at workerbeing on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And finally, if you haven't seen, we have a free course available to everyone on managing stress. Um, so we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Um, and hopefully if you need some help with managing your stress, you can take a peek at that class and get some good tips. Thank you for listening. Thank you.